And we're live. Ilya, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I, I start all these pretty much the same way. So maybe just give a little bit of background about you, know, you uh, a little bit on your background, how you found crypto, and then we can get into what you're doing currently. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, so just like, I guess, a lot of people in the space, um, I come from a TradFi world. Um, I started initially in investment banking. Uh, trying to become the next Gordon Gecko of the space. Um, then, then I kind of lost hope with the sell side. Uh, I thought that the buy side has, um, you know, uh, uh, more more activity. And I basically spent ten years uh, managing FX fund here in London, uh, working mostly with you know large US pension funds, uh, okay. but in a very kind of very you know, risk averse global environment. Um, and, you know, in my journey, I guess, in 2017, I didn't find crypto. I think crypto found me. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people in the space, it starts with the Bitcoin. It starts with, you know, self-custody, permissionless access. Uh, and then the rabbit hole uh, took over. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so you know, I obviously, you know, you know initially I started thinking with uh, trying to run my nodes, trying to mine Bitcoin, obviously doubling some trading. Okay. Um, um, and in 2019, I actually launched uh, FCA regulated uh, fintech startup here in London. Uh, we were providing a crypto off ramp. Uh, we were super early. People at the time wanted to on ramp um, sure. as opposed to to to, 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 uh, to off ramp. But nevertheless, that was you know my first fintech slash crypto experience. And more recently, um, I have been running C5 DeFi market neutral fund. Um, started actually just before. Uh, Terra Luna and FTX uh, debacle, which was a fun year. Yeah. Um, it was akin, akin to akin to uh, uh, water skiing behind a bar boat, um, yeah. and um, you know I have to get scarves, you know scarves to show for it. Um, and now I, you know, I'm working with Haruku, and what we do is basically provide um, digital asset infrastructure uh, for other crypto hedge funds and institutions in the space. So I'm ha- super happy to be here. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, my background spans both macro uh, as well as you know crypto and DeFi, CFI worlds. So I'm super happy to you know share my thoughts on this space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you've done a lot. Uh, I did. I did kind of want to go back to what you said briefly about how crypto found you. What was what was that first kind of Thing. Like, did a buddy share it with you, or did you just like see CNBC or Bloomberg News and like you know that whole mania? Or like, where where did it really first kind of bite you? Yeah, a good question. So, I think um, crypto adoption comes in waves. I think the first wave um, came about from obviously crypto punks, and um, this is you know the, the diehard fans who were uh, obsessed about privacy yeah. uh, and cryptography. Um, you know, I sadly wasn't one of them. Um, second wave of adoption came from uh, folks who were trading, you know, Magic the Gathering, you know, the card playing game. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Mongox, as you may know, has been initially uh, Magic the Gathering trading venue. And, you know, people realize you can make more money trading this uh, Magic Internet money as opposed to, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> as opposed to magical cards. Yeah. And, and then I think maybe the third wave of people um, have come, you know, circa 2015, 16, uh, are a lot of um, uh, um, uh, professional poker broker players, uh, where we've seen basically a clamp down of uh, online poker in the US. Oh, and yeah. A lot, of them, a lot of them began to see the same kind of a game theory dynamics play out in crypto space. And um, I think they were, you know, relatively early kind of OGs in space. Um, you know, for me, um, I probably followed that wave. So I wasn't a poker player. I didn't trade much the gathering. Uh, you know, I don't play Dungeon Dragons, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. To, my, to, to my to my detriment. Um, and I think my first interest came about uh, in um, learning about this new form of uh, digital money, I guess, digital currency that's uh, enabled by um, you know self custody. And the permissionless aspect of it, and that really appealed to me. Um, you know, my background is, you know, I, I was born originally in Russia, and um, you know, in Russia, a lot of, you know, a lot of financial systems is very much controlled, just like everything else. 
And you know, it's 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 no coincidence that a lot of fintechs and crypto space uh, has um, you know a lot of uh, kind of Russian developers because they're all trying to escape this 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 you know state control and yeah. um, uh, level. So for for me, it was very much uh, you know kind of journey of self kind of um, you know self initiated journey. Um, but uh, once I learned about the the, the, the philosophy behind it, um, you know, it just made all the sense in the world. Interesting. So the the russian heritage thing is actually kind of interesting because you know in most western countries people generally don't feel like they're kind of under state control all the time so we um i mean i can at least speak in the united states i think generally take our financial services infrastructure system for granted like we just assume that we can open a bank account and send money to our friends and family and there's you know no big deal there but um your experience sounds like it's quite different right like um and i guess i guess i personally had never really thought about it from that perspective about i guess um you know maybe more strict regimes globally might incentivize their citizens to find a different way type thing like the the thing that i have heard is about like argentina you know so i guess you could say like mismanagement of a currency and that sucks but um i mean can you speak a little bit more about kind of how or if you're willing to like how state controls kind of incentivize you to figure this whole thing out like is there a story there you can share or um i think i think the control side is not just financial i mean you kind of hit nail on the head in terms of you know people living in in, in europe and the u.s um, you know, we are privileged because you know our our our, our you know we have a certain amount of freedoms um, and 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 um, you know seamless um, ability to 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 transact and store wealth, including you know capital protection. Um, whereas you know this type of uh, systems are you know much weaker um, uh, uh, in in you know in emerging markets. So whether it's you know an ability to to store your wealth due to inflation or um, or property rights being weak, um, or um, even sending your your funds abroad. So you know, if you look at uh, likes of China uh, and you know and Russia at the moment, uh, it's very very difficult to move capital um, uh, you know across the border. And so I think a lot of the you know the, the I guess the brighter uh, folks who have immigrated, mm-hmm. they they have felt this sense of relief and this taste of freedom that you know, when they arrive to I guess to, to Europe and the US. And the, I think they want to basically uh, embody this, this this sense and 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 give it to to others, and that's why they go go ahead and you know create either fintech solutions or, or crypto, which actually allows you to uh, enable self custody and you know cross border uh, exchange of value. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, I guess, kind of how lived experience kind of tilts your view one way or another. Because um, one of the re- I mean the one of the top topics in the industry right now is this regulatory debate and clarity in the in the united states about like what what are we doing over here you know um i guess i'd be curious where so you you're based in london what is the regulatory debate like over there how is um how friendly is the government maybe the british and then also the eu to you know these technologies because they kind of go directly against what you would kind of at least what I generally see is sort of more state control in regards to our lives in the West. Um, like generally people want to see more and know more about what we do. And I think that's fair to say, but um, I guess I'd be curious just like how, how is the conversation in the UK right now? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So UK is, is actually quite an interesting place because, uh, you know, recently the UK has been a leader in fintech world. Yeah. Um, and that stems from two things. Um, you know, first of all, it's the place historically that contains a lot of financial institutions. And that's going back to its, uh, you know, geographical positioning because it straddles, let's say, you know, the Asian and the American markets, but also, you know, as, a, as an island nation, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the sea trade that historically has been done uh, requires a lot of financing and insurance. Um, um, services we shall build up over years. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's 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 so that's the thin contribution of the UK. But at the tech side, um, uh, London, our London primarily has been 
a big attractor of talent. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we know that the technology, it's all about people. Um, and, you know, it, it was able to capitalize on availability of, um, you know, developers, um, founders, and, and capital to, fi- to finance these ventures. So what, you, you know, what the UK has done with FinTech, especially from the regulator standpoint, they have basically uh, created a sandbox environment, um, uh, you know, and, 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 and kind of life regulatory approach. And that's really, you know, flourished the industry. So, you know, the question is, can they apply the same um, strategy to crypto and digital assets? Um, the answer is they, they can, but the truth is it is not happening at the moment. Um, sure. I think that one of them, one of the challenges the UK faces is that even though uh, we have obviously exited the European Union, post Brexit, um, European Union is still a major trading partner. So any regulation that UK rolls out, it needs to be in, in, synchronized to to MICA or to you know to European regulation. So in a way, you know, UK cannot go basically too far uh, away from um, from from European Union. So we're pretty much dependent. And I think historically, I think UK has been a little bit shy in leading the the regulatory change, especially digital assets. So I think what has happened in US, it's actually more relevant. To us than than what's happening in UK because I think they're taking a wait and see approach um, and you know just recently for example uh, you know the, the major UK banks have limited significantly the amount that you can actually invest in crypto uh, so a lot of the retail participation is is very much limited going forward um, so although although the messaging is you know we're very much welcoming the space but the reality on the ground. Um, it's, it's it's very different. So a lot of you know a lot of a lot of future exchanges have pulled out, um, and it seems like they are kind of in a wait and see mode, uh, perhaps you know after the U.S. clarity. Interesting. So so for a retail trader or investor in the United or in the U.K., there is an actual like hard limit on what can be invested in, you know, DeFi protocols or you know a, a CFI exchange or like, uh, what what is that limit? Yeah, sure. So, so I mean, the the, the key uh, restriction here is obviously fiat to crypto on ramp. Yeah. Um, I think uh, so. In the major banks, for um, have let's say a single transaction limit of I think two and a half thousand, and then there is also a monthly limit of about ten thousand um, oh, wow. uh, pounds, which is very very low. And and you know even JP Morgan who are based here in UK they have completely restricted uh, any 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 crypto round. So the solution that is being provided to retail at the moment are basically uh, fintech layer providers who serve as the intermediary between let's say you know HSBC and Bybit, uh, but that creates extra extra frictions uh, which obviously you know impedes a lot of a lot of flows. What was the uh, do you know what the original intent of limiting uh, your your fiat on ramp was like why why make it ten thousand dollars a month? Do you? Yeah, sure, sure. So I mean, the the official line is obviously that crypto is seen as a speculative asset class, and especially it's used a lot by uh, for um for I guess you know um, you know, defrauding activities. Sure. Um, but I think I think part of the bigger narrative is the same as in the US yeah. is every every time you move. Funds between um, uh, traditional banking institutions, the funding stays in the system. So as a result, the capital base is, meant, is, is, is maintained within the same pool. But the moment you start moving funds um, outside the, the local banking system, then that depletes the capital base. And if if one was to have, let's say, an event where you know Bitcoin or Ethereum is is, is seen as a escape hatch from the traditional banking system, this yeah. this, this could this could become obviously you know self-reflective process, and you know it's 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 obviously not not something that banks desire uh, to see their uh, resources depleted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that you bring it up from like a a health of the legacy banking infrastructure type approach. Um, you know, the the crypto degen response would be simply don't <laughs> depreciate our currency for a hundred years, but. <laughs> But you know that's neither here nor there. I guess um, that's interesting. So I, to kind of uh, bridge this over to Haruko, so it sounds like you have these 
I guess, capital controls as far as crypto in the UK. How how do you guys think about that, particularly from Haruko's perspective of working with institutional asset managers? How do you, like, is, is London the right place to be for, you know, your guys' business? Or, I mean, how, does this question make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So I think maybe let's zoom out just for one second. Um, I think part of um, the, the, the overall problem that you know the market is trying to solve is that the initial adoption of crypto has come from the retail side, and that's where the majority of demand came from. Yeah. Um, and as a result, the the liquidity providers at the moment, you know, the likes of Bybit, Binance, um, are all uh, built to service um, retail. Uh, market um, and as a result uh, the infrastructure that underpins those venues um, is not of institutional quality um, yeah. and and any institutions who are entering the space you know um, um, are deterred not only by the regulatory uncertainty but yeah. also by um, you know the, the kind of lack of quality in, in terms of connectivity in terms of balance sheet exposure, um, and of course, that feeds into lower liquidity, and you know that makes the whole asset class kind of less attractive. I mean, as an example, you know the total market cap of crypto at the moment is just over a trillion, uh, and that's equivalent of Nvidia market cap. So if you're yeah. a large crowdfunding institution, yeah, um, you know, in order for you to deploy resources and capital in the space at the moment, it, the pool is just not large enough. And this is this is even without looking at the uh, uh, infrastructure side of it or regulatory side. So. In, you know, in terms of Haruko, what you know, our I guess place in this in this in this in this in this journey of of, of crypto is we are here um, to enable um, institutions to access um, uh, risk management, portfolio management tools, which they're used to using in the traditional finance world, um, and so basically these tools are familiar for them, and it's and it allows them to basically deploy capital um, in in a safer manner. And ultimately, it, it, you know, it's all about um, you know increasing the, the safety of, this, of the of the ecosystem and reducing volatility because I think that will that will instill confidence, you know, for the regulators and and maybe even TradFi banks to to re-enable the, the flows of retail um, because I guess you know in legacy legacy systems were just designed to um, you know they're they're basically casinos um, you know yeah yeah from from like a regulator perspective. You know, there isn't great insight into, you know, uh, what would you call it? Like uh, uh, KYC, you know, your client type stuff, like flows, like where money is coming from, all that sort of stuff. People just kind of, you know, get into a blockchain and away they go type thing. Whereas for the institutional space, people definitely want and really are expected to be able to report across the board um, to the regulators for compliance, to their clients, their internal business stuff. Like, um, And it looks like Haruko is addressing a decent amount of that from the manager's point of view. Is Maybe you could walk through that a little bit, just kind of what Haruko actually is and the services that you guys provide to various types of digital managers. Sure, sure. Happy. So, um, you know, Haruko um, is basically a blockchain infrastructure layer. Um, that's offered to uh, front, middle, and back office teams. Uh, and you can think of us uh, as providing post-trade services. So as, as fund managers and institutions start allocating to the space uh, across both CFI and DeFi, um, they're increasingly having to uh, aggregate um, you know, a more complex uh, range of instruments. So across spot, futures, options, stake assets, um, and because these assets, I guess, are quite different to um, you know what the institutions are used to dealing with. Um, you know, it's you know they're, they're digital native, they're on chain, um, and also I think one important point to make is given that the connectivity is to venues which are designed for retail, there's a lack of standardization as of today. So, oh, sure. if, yeah. if if you're a fund or if institution and you're 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 looking to build this out yourself. You will very quickly discover um, that a lot of time is spent simply adjusting to to the to the you know each venue and each asset type. So yeah. what we what we what we do effectively is we provide 
um, you know, a trunky solution of institutional grade um, to allow institutions to aggregate the exposures um, across. For risk management, so whether it's options, uh, OTC. Hey, Ilya, but... sorry to interrupt you there, real quick. I think we froze out. I lost you for like a minute. Um, so maybe rewind <laughs> sixty seconds. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. No problem. Problem. Yeah. So you know, the, 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 you know, our main kind of offering is that we provide this um, you know, blockchain infrastructure layer that allows institutions to onboard very quickly into the space um, without, without allocating you know time and resources. Yeah, um, and and the ultimate the, our ultimate mission is to enable uh, institutions to manage risk uh, across uh, DeFi and CFI. Yeah. So, do you guys do you guys partner with any existing uh, TradFi sort of services? So, like my day job is at SSNC, which I'm sure you've heard of, and we provide similar type infrastructure services to hedge fund, asset management, wealth management, pension, et cetera, et cetera. Have you thought about strategic partnerships with um, the TradFi side of the house, or are you guys still just hyper-focused on the digital asset side? Yeah, I think, um, so we're, uh, we are um, you know, relatively uh, in a small team at this stage, and I think we, we prefer to be focused um, on the digital asset side, sure. given, given, given still the amount of um, work and integration to be made, especially you know, across DeFi. So what we are finding is more and more uh, traditional finance service providers are entering the space um, by maybe starting uh, with coverage of CFI venues, uh, which tends to be a lower hanging fruit given it's, it's you know API integration. Um, however, once you start bringing DeFi into this into this world, it's a completely different beast, um, yeah. and it you know it it becomes a lot more challenging. So if you have a system that you've built for TradFi, it's quite difficult to. Uh, repurpose it uh, for for um, you know DeFi purposes. So it's much yeah. easier to build something from from scratch uh, than 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 to try to um, repurpose it. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just thinking at some point, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, in the near future, eventually you'll have, you know, let's take a retail example. Eventually, you'll have like your retirement accounts, and you'll have, you know, your large cap, mid cap, small cap equities. You know, your global, national fixed income, and you also have like a slug of some managed crypto, right? Whether that's an ETF or maybe some hedge fund or separately managed account or whatever. Eventually, I see all that coming together and being presented as a single thing for the client. But how the crypto piece gets piped into that relationship, I think, is interesting. Um, I don't know if anyone's actually doing that yet, but it was just a thought. Yeah, I mean, you, you, 100%, you're 100% you correct. And I think also also that's part of the current challenge is we're now seeing a lot of um, a lot of you know, a lot of institutional type of digital asset exchanges and institutional products coming to market. Um, and I think that one of the biggest challenges they face is uh, finding the liquidity or price takers, um, because usually in, in a TradFi world. You know the price takers on the institutional side tends to be either large asset managers, pension funds, um, insurance companies uh, who basically have portfolio of you know equities, bonds, uh, and uh, and maybe commodities, and they 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 you know they rebalance their portfolio. So in effect, they act as as a passive um, you know price takers, which kind of stimulates the demand. Whereas at the moment, the the liquidity or the price takers is still very much. Um, uh, 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 skewed to the retail side, um, and as a result, this this you know this uh, institutional type of digital asset um, uh, providers are um, you know they're kind of build something for the future, um, and I think they, they you know, it's definitely a challenge uh, for everybody now. But I, I agree. I think um, you know that you know, just like with most things, you have waves of um, you know the building of, of variety. Oh, I just said adoption, waves of adoption. Adoption. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Wave of adoption. But then ultimately, there are periods of consolidation because ultimately the users would prefer to see everything in one place. 
So mm-hmm. um, we already seeing this even in our sector where, you know, uh, uh, execution venues are uh, building out portfolio management systems and, and, um, and custodians are building out you know, staking. Um, yeah. So it's very much happening. But I think the wave of, 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 of combining TradFi with, with digital assets, I think that's, that's yet to come. Yeah, I uh, I had a guest on recently, a guy named Tyrone Ross out of uh, the U.S. based out of San Diego, and he's a wealth management guy, but he's into crypto pretty deeply. And one of his takes is that crypto is small relative to TradFi. Um, like like you kind of mentioned earlier, like total crypto market cap is a trillion, and Nvidia is a trillion. You know, um, but his take is kind of that. There will be a TradFi consolidation of crypto at some point in the future where, you know, maybe BlackRock eats Coinbase type thing. Um, I don't know if you have similar thoughts about the future kind of the industry, but I thought that was an interesting perspective. Just, I mean, just based on dollars and cents alone, you know, like Fidelity's huge, BlackRock's huge, Vanguard is huge. They have more than enough money to go buy into the space if they want to they could just be waiting for things to mature type thing so 100 percent. i think the only uh alternative um i guess i guess universe is if we see a very strong uh price rally in the underlying i.e you know bitcoin spot where the likes of you know the the pure play uh, crypto uh, firms actually grow on the bottom I yeah. think they, 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 you know, as acquisition target, it may become increasingly difficult to buy them, and, and and it is possible that in the future they may actually be the ones who end up buying traditional yeah. finance firms. Yeah. So, <laughs> if Bitcoin ten x and goes to a million or something, all of a sudden Coinbase looks a lot bigger. You know, so hundred percent, hundred percent. The the Bitcoin miners like Ant Alpha and Foundry will be the new IMF. Uh, and Coinbase could be the new new Goldman. Um, I mean, I, that's that's obviously an, an outlier event, but um, you know that's definitely a possibility. But having said that, um, I think for certain pockets of the industry, for example, crypto custody, um, mm-hmm. I, def- I definitely see uh, you know uh, uh, qualified custodians such as you know, Fidelity, Zodiac, um, gain significant market share. Um, uh, given, given the, um, given I guess the reputation of balance sheet, because effectively, you know, what we've seen in the past, who you know the companies who were crypto custodians are now labeling themselves as um, technology providers because they do not have the uh, regulatory uh, backing, uh, the regulatory licensing, and yeah. um, so you know if if you're a traditional, you know, if you're large institutions and you're choosing your custodian, I think I think having you know, um, a more established name definitely carries more weight. So I think from that perspective, I can definitely see um, uh, consolidation from, you know, TradFi eating uh, crypto. Yeah. Do In your guys' conversations with, you know, say your clients, you know, your crypto institutional managers, what what is their view of this space right now? Are they kind of optimistic about, you know, the... The golden goose being, you know, institutional flows coming. Um, h- how do they kind of view just where we are currently? Yeah, sure. So I think um, I think one thing we've learned over the last year or so is that um, you know, crypto, VC, and tech uh, are all um, connected to the same faucet, and this faucet is you know liquidity. Um, yeah. And to be more specific, it's it's the U.S. Fed liquidity. Um, and ultimately, the you know the, the, the demand or institutional demand for crypto um, has to be funded by availability of you know capital, um, uh, and and that's that that's that's pretty much the, one of the main um, you know determinant of institutional flows. Um, you know that, and obviously the you know the regulatory certainty I think will be helpful. But you know, a good example is you know Bitcoin ETF. Um, obviously, there's a lot of um, you know excitement. Uh, I think I think the expected uh, decision date is is early next year uh, yeah. for for the ARC, for ARC ETF. Um, but you know, if as of now, I, I do not think there is um, sufficient pent up demand 
that is knocking on the door um, to 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 access the you know Bitcoin spot, um, yeah. given 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 the macro environment. Um, so um, you know, it's talking to our clients and talking to the investors is very much driven by availability of capital. Um, and as we both know, uh, you know, crypto asset class is very much reflexive, uh, and people tend to like it more at 50k uh, and even more at 60k. So. Uh, <laughs> well, that's because so, you—that's because you got like six months to a year of uh, media stories just hyping it for you know day on end. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, we we all we always the, the industry always uh, tries to latch to a new narrative. Um, but um, having said that, you know, um, you know, the current state of let's say Bitcoin spot, it seems to me like. Um, you know, the, all the action is in the spot market um, uh, because the, the availability of credit for the purpose is just not there. Um, and in terms of the, the you know, the, the, the holders of Bitcoin, it seems like um, they're very comfortable at the current level. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no need to sell. Um, so as a result, we're just, you know, we're just waiting for, for bids to arrive, whether they come from um, U.S. banking crisis narrative, uh, the Fed cutting rates. Or or maybe a Bitcoin ETF, uh, which by the yeah. way I think will be will probably be a short lived event, um, but nevertheless I think it's it's you know basically liquidity that's that's I think the key driver for everybody. Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, a lot of people in crypto are waiting for like the next bull run, and you see a lot about like the Bitcoin having or the Bitcoin spot ETF for, uh, you know, eventual regulatory clarity, all that stuff. But uh, you bring up an interesting point that like all of this is just dictated by, you know, access to capital. And if global central banks are tightening the spigot, you know, we could be going sideways or maybe down for a while. Um, but then as I kind of think that through, you know, if there is a banking crisis, the Fed will most likely open up the spigots. There's $10 trillion flushed into the market overnight. Bitcoin would for sure rally off that um, for a number of reasons, but, you know, access to capital and then also the destruction of the dollar, right? Um, I don't know. It's I, I think I think the next year or two is going to be pretty interesting. So. Yeah, I agree, and I think I think you know we live in a world where um, you know information flows are accelerating. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that the pace at which things can and will happen will also accelerate. Um, I really like to think of this model for Bitcoin that it really has a symmetry to to both sides. So if you imagine a world where um, you know we see risk assets rally. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, the Bitcoin will participate given the, the valuation divergence. You know, as tech, tech rally and equities rally, people will look at the digital assets as the next risk on asset. Um, but the other, the other alternative world is where, um, let's say there is um, a crisis in the U.S. banking system, especially the, the regional banks, which are seeing their deposits you know, diminishing into the money yeah. market funds. Um, that could drive the narrative of an alternative to you know, the current traditional financial system, and that will also, you know, support Bitcoin, as we've seen in March this year. Um, yeah. I don't think we're out of the woods there yet at all. Um, and so I think, you know, this is this is probably one of the best times to be, you know, looking at the, the pipelines of allocating at least, you know, 1% to Bitcoin, because when, you know, when, 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 the, when things kick off, uh, as we know, you know, the movement will be so fast, that um, you know, it, 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 there'll be no time basically to to figure out things. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a really good good time at the moment to 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 to, to lay, lay lay the groundwork operationally uh, or or you know you know through reg regulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, is that like a common theme that you hear amongst your like your manager clients? Are are they all kind of like? you know, eyes six months a year down the road kind of game playing exactly what we spoke about? Yeah, sure. So um, a lot of our clients are um, tend to be market neutral funds. Um, oh, okay. So, so, so they, they thrive on volatility and flows. Yeah. Uh, which, which, you know, at the moment uh, is a little bit more subdued. Um, 
but you know volatility comes from bo- both directions it can come from you know the upside volatility and then the number of volatility so they're they're a little bit more agnostic but but let's you know let's face it you know um you know a rally in, in bitcoin is is conducive for the whole ecosystem whether it's for capital raising um or volatility i think it's it's all it's the same you know the same the same narrative yeah where what what uh what do you kind of generally think about the space right now like what are what are the good things going on and then what are some things that are maybe yet to be resolved that need to be addressed yeah so i think on on the on the positives um you know for 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 for, for folks who are not following the kind of infrastructure layer there's a lot of um a lot of work being done um to establish new connections and new pipes which are institutional quality um you know whether it's you know building new custodians uh new new execution venues uh for example in us you have a launch of edx um and and also there's there's a regulatory work also being done in parallel so i think there's 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 a lot of retooling and 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 uh, restructuring being done in in the in the in the, in the, in the background which i think will will serve as a much uh, more stable layer for the next uh, you know bull run and uh, which will hopefully um you know will make will make it more sustainable um and you know in terms of the 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 concerns that that are still out there i think um you know apart from the macro headwinds um you still have some legacy large leg- legacy players um whether it's binance uh, whether it's tether um who you know are obviously still operational but there's a lot of kind of skeletons and closet which are you know left to be <laughs> left to be revealed <laughs> yeah yeah you know um 2023 is almost over hopefully we don't have any more skeletons come out this year we've you know had enough the last year or so um speaking of which sbf his trial started yesterday i think if i remember correctly but anyway we'll we'll see how that whole thing goes um i've been talking a lot about stable coins uh recently with guests do do you have a thought on stable coins and then i guess kind of the next one over would be cbdcs like do you guys think about much of that at all yeah yeah so so stable coin um is a very interesting one because it kind of chimes with the, the current wave of tokenization um in fact it's the first um you know real world um example or the real world asset of tokenizing uh fiat uh in deposits and yeah. um obviously during the time of low interest rates uh the business model didn't quite work um because um, you know there was a much to be made for the stablecoin issuers but now as we know uh, given that every time you mint uh, tether or 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 UTC um the, the the issuer is able to deposit these funds in short short term money market funds and and just print you know exorbitant amount yeah. of funds yeah yeah and i think i think what we're now seeing is um uh, a transition of this business model where uh, a lot of this yield will now be passed on to the token holder so uh, as a good example uh, we're seeing uh, increasing um tokenization of us treasuries on chain yeah um which is akin in my opinion that's akin to you know yield bearing stablecoin and i think going forward uh, that could be the new base asset on chains in the same way that staked ETH Will probably be the the base asset, given that it's ill, Ill bearing and it's pretty much risk free, apart from yeah. smart, smart contract rates. I feel like um, you know ill bearing uh, stables are probably will be the you know the, the base asset of the future. Yeah, you're you're not the only person who's been uh, kind of talking about that in my podcast the last couple months. Um, and it seems <clears throat> like one another recent guest, a guy from Texas. He runs a nonprofit out there focused on crypto. Uh, uh regulation and policy but um one of his takes is that that the u.s government should in theory be aligned with the tokenization of treasuries and getting those things on chain because it would be one of the easiest ways to export the dollar globally which would also you know increase demand lower cost of capital um generally good things at least in the eyes of 
you know, the U.S. Fed. Um, I'm curious to see if maybe that conversation will start to pop up a little bit more over the next six to 12 months or so. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. If you think about it this way, um, at the moment, there's a lot of dollars which are offshore. Um, like your you know, dollars you, you, type thing? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a huge market. And yeah. I'm pretty sure Fed ha- the, the Fed has no idea. It's, it's an estimate. They don't actually know how, how much dollars are outside the system. Um, and, you know, those dollars are not always... Um, you know, I call them staked in treasuries, but they're not always they're not always staked in, in U.S. treasuries, yeah. right? They're 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 held under a mattress. They're, you know, in, in Colombia, they're probably you know buried underground. Yeah, yeah, out <laughs> in jungle somewhere. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Even but even by rats. So, you know, if you have an onshore entity who's issuing a, a stable coin, which is then uh, um, let's say supplied to emerging market countries like Turkey, Argentina, Venezuela. Yeah. Um, for every dollar deposited, you would have basically guaranteed demand or guaranteed purchase of uh, you know U.S. Uh, treasuries, which is um, you know it's it's as you say you know given the budget deficit, it's 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 a good it's a good source of, of demand and it's a good way to look up those dollars. Um, yeah. So I agree with you 100. percent Yeah. It's. It's, I don't know. It, it, I just feel like we're living like right on the edge of history. Like I, I feel I kind of just maybe it's just me being involved in financial services and crypto and stuff. But I generally just like feel like something big is around the corner. I just don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but that's uh, a daily thought for me. Of course. No, no, of course. Of course. I think I think, um, you know, lessons of history are very important. And, you know, history um, you know the patterns of history repeat in, in slightly different shapes and forms. Um, and the only di- I think difficult part is timing, because yeah. uh, the, the amount of people who um, claim that you know the big disaster is, is around the corner are, are wrong until they're not wrong. So yeah. I think the time the timing is very difficult. But I, I I completely agree with you. I think the system is geared in you know asymmetrically in one direction, whether it's increasing debt or inflation. Um, and there simply isn't there isn't a mechanism to to rebalance it. So um, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you 100. percent Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of segues a little bit into the CBDC discussion. Um, I'll go first, I guess. My general take is I think it really depends one on how they're programmed. Right? It's basically programmable money. So. Depending how that's done, they can either be maybe okay or they could be completely totalitarian. Um, that's my thought. I kind of lean more towards like if you give that level of control, it will never be able to be taken back. Um, and like the thought of like, you know, the Fed saying, hey, we need to juice demand. So we are going to incentivize purchases, i.e. you have $1,000 now. By the end of the year, you might only have 900 So you got to spend it now type thing. Or even more simply, you know, like we know, say, maybe you're overweight and you have an allotment of sodas this month and you can't buy any more sodas <laughs> if you buy five type thing. So I, I kind of generally view it as like a worst case scenario to allow a cbdc um but i'd be curious to know what your thoughts are yeah so i think i think um i think we're at the point where cbdc is a, is a near certainty um, yeah. you know the amount of pilot projects uh, across the world is just is astounding uh, yeah. they're not all you know they're not all talked about but it's it's happening i even in fact i although i think that the us will probably be one of the one of the last countries to adopt it in in in, in the Western world, given yeah. that, um, yeah, just for for right reasons, um, you know, maybe China was the first one, and then Israel uh, is also was behind. Um, in terms of the the main challenges, I think there's a real question um, in terms of implementation uh, of storing of CBDC, uh, given that if storage is done outside the private banking system. This could really hurt the the, the, the private banking deposits. Yes. So I, I I I I'm of the opinion that it will probably be stored in your, uh, you know, your your private bank uh, wallet or account. Um, yeah. Um, 
And then, and then obviously you've mentioned this increased control. I agree with you. I mean, I think a good case study on that is, you know, a general idea of taxes. You know, taxes didn't always exist. Uh, they came about for financing wars. Yeah. And once they were introduced, once they were introduced, uh, or QE, the same. Once once these things are tried, uh, they're too sweet to give up. And yeah. um, con- control is one of the key. Um, you know, key, key, key kind of, um, you know, goals of the, you know, I guess the government. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. So I think, you know, that makes it increasingly important uh, for us to have an alternative to, you know, traditional finance system, because, you know, that at least keeps, you know, governments in check. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I totally agree. I, I just wonder when push comes to shove type thing, I guess, like I've, I've heard kind of rumblings here and there about like the regulation of DeFi, for example, or decentralized applications. Um, I don't know if it's actually possible, but they might make it, they might make the consequences of accessing a decentralized exchange. So, you know, uh, so monumental that you would just never do it type thing. Um, I don't know, but I mean, again, again, I guess I just kind of feel like we're like trying to figure this whole thing out. And there's and then you throw in like AI and, you know, machine learning and uh, natural language processing and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, what kind of world are we about to live in? <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, it's going to be quite different. Um, you know, speaking of regulation of DeFi, I think the, the current mantra is, you know, the, the code is the code is low. Uh, obviously, it has to interact with the real world uh, legal system, and I think what we will probably end up with uh, a, a two, you know, two, two type of DeFi worlds. One will be permissioned regulated, yeah. and then the the the, the you know the the, the uh, you know the permissionless um, uh, world will still exist alongside. My only question will be how will the bridging between the two worlds will work? Because as you know. You know, if you close one bridge, you can always open another one. So, you know, it's it's, it's definitely quite an interesting concept. And I think going back to, you know, privacy, um, as you probably know, there's a lot of work being done at the moment uh, yeah. in zero no- zero knowledge. Oh yeah, um, I'm very excited. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think I think that will become you know very very important uh, in, in the near future, just to preserve privacy. Yeah, yeah. It. I can truly kind of see it both ways in a way. Like there's this like perfect storm of so like the the example I've thought a lot about is voting. So like everyone is all hot and bothered about voting in the US because you know, based on whatever side of the aisle you're on, somebody's cheated, right? So to me it seems like a natural use case to have voting done on a blockchain so that you know that it is 100% verified, right? happens in real time you know you tie it to it would have to be tied to you know a legit digital identity which in theory sounds great but you know on the flip side of it do you really want to enable like a true 100 percent you know government-backed digital identity like i just see a lot of like gives and takes i guess in how the technology can be applied and um i guess we'll see but um I generally feel like we need to find a great way to balance um, what this technology allows us to do. And, you know, maybe ZK proofs is part of that, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's it makes sense. I think balance in general is, is a good, is a good uh, North Star for everything, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, <laughs> I mean, my wife wouldn't be thrilled if I was out drinking at the pub until you know one a.m. every night. But you know, once a week, it's okay. <laughs> as long as long as she has zero knowledge, I think you're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, they wives always have a hundred percent knowledge. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing you have to keep in mind is, you know, is it is it in the is it in the government's um, interest to implement transparent uh, um, voting system, and a lot of the times the adoption fails 
because the the, the 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 party who needs to make adoption simply doesn't know what, doesn't want to reveal this information. Yeah, and this happens a lot. You know, uh, you know, yeah. inefficiencies or hidden information is is there for a reason because it gives you know a symmetric advantage. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, probably the most infamous example in the United States is that the Pentagon has failed their audit basically every year since they've tried to do it. So. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, like, I get it. Like, in theory, like, government finances should probably be on a public blockchain because it's taxpayer dollars, right? Like, in theory, that makes sense. But in practice, it will never happen. Or more likely, they would say we're putting some things on a public ledger. Everything else, um, you know, would be permissioned or uh, totally off-chain type thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting times for sure. That's <laughs> yeah, my, my life just went up. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, One second. Well, cool. Uh, let's see. We got a couple minutes left. Where do you want to kind of finish this, Ilya? This has been. I mean, this has been great. You're welcome back to you know talk shit anytime with me. So, um, awesome. but uh, yeah. So yeah. So 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 I think um, you know I, I think I think that, that you know the topic is so, so broad. Um, you know, I, I would like to maybe pick up a conversation um, once we see the developments in the um, the, the kind of the market environment change. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I really do agree with you that we are on the cusp of um, um, some kind of seismic shifts that have been building out over the last decade or, or, or more. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the narrative of the digital asset space and you know specifically bitcoin uh will really pick up um you know as an alternative uh, yeah. infrastructure layer yeah so, yeah i uh i think most of my audience would agree with, with that um awesome but yeah let's see i mean um any other last couple thoughts i mean what uh so i do have a couple of like uh I guess digital asset managers who are following, like if they want to check out Haruko, like, um, you know, how do they get a hold of you? Um, what would you tell them to do? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, you can, you know, find us on, um, you know, on our website or LinkedIn. Um, and I think the main message is that if you are, are looking to deploy capital in the space and you're considering uh, building your own. Um, I guess you know uh, infrastructure layer. It's definitely you know worth um, us having conversation. Whether we can help you and advise you on best practices, or ideally you know we can convince you to you know spend your time resources yep. on you know discovering discovering capturing alpha. Um, but uh, yeah, we're we're all you know here to help and uh, yeah. Okay. Great well, cool. Yeah, let's leave it there. Um... Great to have you again. And then everyone who's listening till next time, we'll, we'll see you on the next one. So. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt.